Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Haggai. The Old Testament book of Haggai and Haggai chapter number 2. As you're looking forward to it, the book of Haggai is in what is called the Minor Prophets section of the Old Testament. And so if you're in the Minor, or find the Gospel records, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and you turn the other direction, you turn to Malachi, Zechariah, Haggai. And so everyone should be able to name the books of the Bible backwards. So find the book of Haggai inside of the minor prophets section. So again, you could find the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, turn the other direction just a little bit and you'll run into the book of Haggai. We're continuing with our series of the lineage of Jesus Christ, tracing through each of the family members of Jesus from Adam to Jesus Christ himself. There are 64 different generations and we've been trying as best as we could to do a character study on each one that is mentioned. Now we come to <coughs> a person who is very important in the Bible even though he doesn't seem to get a lot of emphasis or a lot of love. Most people probably haven't heard of him. However, he is one of the most important Bible people or most important historical figures and I want to show you why. Turn with me to the book of Haggai chapter 2. Haggai chapter 2 and if you don't mind, notice with me in verse number 20. Haggai chapter number 2 and in verse number 20, we see what it says, Haggai chapter 2 and verse 20. And again, the word of the Lord came unto Haggai in the four and twentieth day of the month, saying, Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I will shake the heavens and the earth, and I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms, and I will destroy the strength of kingdoms of the heathen, and I will overthrow the chariots, and those that ride in them, and the horses and their riders shall come down, and every one by the sword of his brother. In that day, saith the Lord of hosts, Will I take thee, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shelethiel, saith the Lord, and I will make thee a, as a signet, for I have chosen thee, saith the Lord of hosts. And with the Lord's help, I'd like for you to mark a phrase that we speak about Zerubbabel in verse number 23. Of course, if you need the spelling of Zerubbabel, there it is, Zerubbabel. And notice what God said he was going to do with him in verse 23. Make thee as a signet. Make thee as a signet. And if you don't mind, we would like to do a character study on one of my favorite minor characters in the Bible, Zerubbabel, and we'll see him as he's described here, God's chosen signet. God's chosen signet. 
If you mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come up to you, we're just asking that you would just give us grace and that you would give us mercy. That you would help us as we understand this Bible passage and the importance of Zerubbabel inside of history, inside of the Bible, inside of your lineage. That we can see what you did with him to make him your chosen signet. Again, I recognize that I need your help. Just fill me with your spirit. Give us grace. Let this message be an encouragement to those that hear, seeing what a great God that we have. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Zerubbabel, the chosen signet. As we describe his life, we need to know a little bit about his past. This first thing I'd like to bring up to you is the cursed past. We're coming back to the book of Haggai in just a second, but I'd like to show you the context of the history. Turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 22. Jeremiah chapter 22. In Jeremiah 22, which we have recently seen before as we go through the lineage of Christ, we understood that the first king of the kingly line would be David. David had a son by the name of Solomon. Solomon had a son by the name of Rehoboam. And because of the foolish decisions of Rehoboam, the northern and southern kingdom had been divided. Rehoboam became the first king of the southern kingdom. Well, Rehoboam had a son and his son had a son. And that lineage went on for 18 different kings. One of the last kings to rule over Ju- uh, Judah would be a man by the name of Jehoiachin. Jehoiakim. So Jehoiakim and Jehoiachim. And if you don't mind, I'd like for you to see something that was said about Jehoiachin in Jeremiah chapter number 22. Jeremiah 22. And notice with me in verse number 24. Jeremiah 22 and verse 24. As I live, saith the Lord, though Konoya, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, were the signet upon my right hand, yet I would pluck thee thence. And I will give thee into thy hand of them that seek thy life, and into the hand of whose face thou fearest, even the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, into the hand of the Chaldeans, and I will cast thee out, and thy mother that beareth thee, into another country where thou were not born, and there shall ye die. But to a land whereunto they desire to return, neither shall they not return. Is this man, Coniah, a despised, broken idol? Is he a vessel wherein is no pleasure? Wherefore are they cast out, he and his seed, and are cast into a land which they know not? O earth, 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 hear the word of the Lord. This, Thus saith the Lord, write ye this man childless. A man shall not prosper in his days, for no man of his seed shall prosper, sitting upon the throne of David and ruling any more in Judea. So I want you to notice this, his cursed past. And with this, we have two different kings of Judah, which we have just recently covered. Jehoiakim, and Jehoiachin, who is often known as Coniah. Now, Jehoiakim, remember him? He was a king who was the son of Josiah, a good king. But when he became king, he did not want to do anything according to God's law, according to what God said. Instead of submitting to Babylon like God had sent messengers to tell him to do, 
Instead, he tried to join with Egypt and tried to rebel against what God's plan was. In addition, when he had preachers who would come to him and say, listen to what God says, he would actually kill preachers. That's nice to know that you're God's messenger and you've got to go give the message to the king knowing that he's probably going to kill you. That's, that's always fun. And then on top of that, Jeremiah penned the book of Jeremiah and he had it read out loud outside of the temple. Some of the princes heard it and said, man, the king needs to hear this. And so when they brought the Bible inside of the king's chamber and began to read it to him, Jehoiakim took the Bible and said, come here, let me see that. And as he looked at the Bible, he took his pen knife and cut it up and threw it in the fire. That did not make God happy at all. And God says, I'm done. I'm done. And God pronounced a curse that anyone who was blood related to Jehoiakim and sat on the throne of Judah would be cursed. That's pretty big. He says, write this man childless. Write him. No one is going to inherit the throne. They're going to be cursed. Well, Jehoiakim died and his son Jehoiachin, who was known as Kenoiah, began to rule. Now, there's a lot said about Kenoiah, which is pretty amazing seeing he only ruled three months. How quickly can you ruin a country? Well, Kenoiah did it in three months. He just damaged it, ruined it, caused it pain, so much that when he rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar and tried to stand up against him, this little punk 18-year-old kid, that what happened is that Nebuchadnezzar says, I'm going to teach him a lesson. And he took 10,000 of the choicest people and took them captive, which included, included Jehoiachin. It included Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and, uh, and Abednego. It included Mordecai. Later on, it included Ezekiel. And it was all because of Kenoya's actions, Jehoiachin. And again, notice what God said. We, we talked about Zerubbabel, that he was the chosen signet. Notice as God is using that same terminology in verse number 24. As I live, saith the Lord, though Kenoya, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, were the signet on my right hand, yet I would pluck thee thence. Notice what God is giving this illustration. A signet, we'll talk more in detail in just a moment, is like a ring that would have on it the stamp, the signature of the house that it represented. And God said, even if, if Jehoiachin was a signet, I'm so aggravated, so ticked off at him, so displeased with him, I would tuck it and I would toss it away. That's a pretty big deal. Especially when we cover in a second how important that signet is. So here is Jehoiachin Pictured as a signet and God says, I'm so tired of him. He's so aggravated. It feels so awful to wear. I just, I would pluck him off. Even as important as a signet is, I don't want to have anything to do with him anymore. That's a pretty cursed past. Well, we know Jehoiachin was taken captive after ruling three months. He was put into prison and he was put into prison for 37 years. That's quite a while. After 37 years, Nebuchadnezzar's son, evil Merodach, released him from prison. We had talked about this the last time we met. And when he was released from prison, guess what happened? Jehoiachin had a child. And that child had another child 
by the name of Zerubbabel. So Jehoiachin had a child by name of Selethiel. Selethiel had a child by the name of Zerubbabel. And now we come to Zerubbabel himself. Turn back with me, if you don't mind, to the book of Haggai, chapter number 2. So he comes from a cursed past, and God put a curse on anyone that was blood-related to um, Jehoiachim and sat on the throne. Well, that carried a past Jehoiachim. Chin was taken captive and shortly afterward in 586 BC, the Babylonians destroyed Jerusalem and destroyed the temple. That curse was carried out. Now there's no more king. But the lineage of Christ continues. Jehoiachin had a son by the name of Selethiel. Selethiel had a son by the name of Zerubbabel. You know what that means? That if there was a king in Zerubbabel's time, Zerubbabel should have and would have been the king of, of Jerusalem at that time. However, because of the curse, he can't be king. But God still doesn't forget about him. Zerubbabel becomes a well-trusted follower of the Lord. He follows after God. And when the Persian Empire takes over in 535 BC, Zerubbabel is now made a governor, a leader, and he is tasked with going back to Jerusalem where they started from and rebuilding the temple and rebuilding the walls. That's a pretty important job, isn't it? And God is preaching messages to him in the book of Haggai, in the book of Zechariah to encourage Zerubbabel to continue to do the work. Which is why we find his name in the book of Haggai that God gives a special message to Zerubbabel. Now again, can you imagine how difficult that would be? That Jerusalem is destroyed. The temple is gone. Most of the people are scattered all throughout the world now. And only a few people want to go back to Jerusalem. When they get back to Jerusalem, they said, all right, let's build the temple. And so they began to build the foundation. The people cheered. Some people cried as they built the foundation. And then persecution began to come. And people said, listen, if you don't stop doing that, you don't stop building it, we're going to tell, we're going to get you in trouble. And for 15 years, that, that foundation of the new temple just laid there. And so God preaches through Haggai and Zechariah to, to Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, now's the time to build. Now's the time for you to be the leader and encourage the people to build my house. And to keep going. And Zerubbabel, under God's direction through the two prophets, led the people to rebuild this temple. And what a big feat it was. But he went through obstacles. He went through discouragement. He went through people who didn't want to build the temple. In the beginning of the book of Haggai, you have people who make all kinds of excuses. Oh, it's not time to build. Now it's time to do this and time to do this. And so can you imagine Zerubbabel doing this? All right, guys, God wants us to build the temple. Ah, it's not time. I don't want to serve God. It's not time. So it wasn't just easy. It was hard. Here, he should have been the king, but he's not. He's supposed to be the leader, but people don't want to work. And yet God's directing him to do something. And he has encouragement the whole time. I want to show you more about this chosen man. The second thing I want to show you, this chosen man a signet. This chosen man, a signet. So Zerubbabel was chosen by Cyrus the Great, king of Persia, to be the governor of this area. Look 
back with me in the book of Haggai chapter 2 and notice with me in verse number 30, uh, 23. In that day, saith the Lord of hosts, I will take thee, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Selethiel, saith the Lord, and I will make thee as a signet. For I have chosen thee, saith the Lord. Once again, we see this word signet again. Before it was used for Jehoiachin, that God said, if you were a signet, I would toss you away. I just don't want to deal with you. Here he's calling Zerubbabel as a signet. What? is a signet. A signet was a mark of honor and authority. It was something that became an object of, of care and pleasure. It was much valued and was constantly in view. A signet was basically used of an owner to sign letters and documents. It was basically their signature. Remember that they would often put things in wax and melt wax and then they would put a stamp on it. A signet would be that stamp. Sometimes it was carried as a ring. Sometimes it was worn as an amulet. But whatever it was, it was a mark of authority that someone would come up to a king. King! Can we go ahead and get this accomplished? Yes, you can. Well, can you sign your name to it? Instead of writing it down, they would just stamp it with a signet. And so if someone lent that signet, it was the uh, symbolic, same thing as singing your, uh, giving your signature to someone. So let's say that as a business owner, I needed to go uh, get some more supplies. Well, my trusted servant would carry my signet and he would signature my authority on that purchase agreement. Does that make sense? And so it was something valuable. What would happen if you did not have your signet? What if you lost it? Well, then you couldn't sign documents. You couldn't carry it through. It'd be something very important. Someone else could take it and steal your identity. So it was something that was always kept close. It was something precious. It was something valuable. It was something that was very important for who you are as a signature. And God says, Zerubbabel, you're my signet. You're something that's special. You're something that I want to use as an object as my authority. You're something valuable to me. You've got something I want you to accomplish. He says, your grandfather, Jehoiachin, if he was a signet, I would toss him away. Even though it was valuable, and so I just didn't want to have anything to do with him. Again, how aggravating do you have to be to God where God says, I just want to toss you away. I don't want to have anything to do with you. By the way, he only ruled for three months. What did you do in three months time where God says, I'm just done with you? That was a pretty awful reign. But now the kingdom is over with. God has kept his promise and is allowing the Hebrew people to come back to Jerusalem under the leadership of this lineage of Christ. And you have Zerubbabel who is now used as God's chosen signet to rebuild God's house. To rebuild the place where God places his name on. To rebuild the city that God says this is the place where I dwell. And I'm using Zerubbabel, my chosen signet, to get it done. Now, all of this, Zerubbabel is going to picture the Lord Jesus Christ, and we'll show this in a second. But interesting enough, Zerubbabel is famous in the lineage of Christ because of two things. Not only is he in the lineage of Christ through the kingly line, meaning that the inheritance of the kingly line went through him because his grandfather was the king and that 
and that lineage continued. And by the way, when it finally gets to Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ inherited the kingly line through his stepfather, Joseph. That's how the kingly line went. Jesus Christ is the rightful king by inheritance because of this line. But interesting enough, Zerubbabel is also important in the lineage of Jesus Christ because he's also part of the blood relationship of Jesus Christ through Mary. Remember, Jesus Christ had to be blood related to David and he was through Mary. And Zerubbabel is part of that lineage as well. So here is a man, the only man in this whole lineage, starting from David, that crosses both lines. He's part of the kingly line and he is part of the blood line. That's pretty amazing. That's pretty special. God had something special with Zerubbabel and he says he's my chosen signet. He's something special about him. He's someone who wants to be pleasing to me. He's someone who wants to live for me. In fact, turn with me if you don't mind to the next book. You're in the book of Haggai. Turn with me to the book of Zechariah chapter number four. Now remember both Haggai and Zechariah chapter uh, are both minor prophets that were written to encourage Zerubbabel to build the temple and to lead the people. So both of these are addressed to Zerubbabel. And I want you to see something about Zerubbabel, the chosen signet, about what God said concerning this. Notice with me in Zechariah chapter 4. Zechariah chapter 4, notice with me in verse 6. Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. Now this is some good encouragement. Here is Zerubbabel, who's now supposed to be the king, but he's not. But God has allowed him to be a governor in the Persian Empire to oversee, to rebuild Jerusalem, to rebuild the, te the temple again. And God is saying, listen, Zerubbabel, before you go on, let me give you some encouragement. It is not by your strength. It is not by your might, but it is by my spirit. He says, listen, Zerubbabel, let me fill you with my spirit. You surrender to me and let me control you by my spirit. And I will get the job done through you, not because of you. That's some great encouragement. Why was Zerubbabel a chosen signet? Because he understood the principle of dying to self and being filled with God's spirit. And allowing God to get his own work accomplished by just being the instrument used of God. Notice as it goes on in verse 7. Who art thou, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel thou shalt become a plain. And he shall bring forth the headstone thereof with shoutings, crying, Grace, grace unto it. Now imagine this great promise. It's, it's being told to Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel's listening as the prophet uh, Zechariah is coming to you and saying, listen, it's by God's spirit. And when you have God's spirit, you have God's power. And you see this mountain over here, it'll be like a plane in your eyes because God knocks it down. God can get it done, Zerubbabel. You trust him to do it through you. Verse number 8. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His 
his hands shall also finish it. And thou shalt know that the Lord of the host shall sit me unto you. Here's another promise. Zerubbabel, we know that you started the temple. I want to give you some encouragement that you are going to finish it. Just to prove that it was God that was doing it. Can you imagine what a great encouragement that is? Especially after trying to get people to, let's work. No, it's not time. How am I going to get it done? God says, don't worry, I'm going to get it done. I'm going to stir the people. I'm going to get it done. And I'm going to prove that it was me who did it in the first place. By the way, that should be how every church is built. Is that God does the work. When 10 years from now, when people go and say, how in the world do you have all of this? The only response we can say is, God did it. God did it. There is something different when God builds the house. And we could trust Him to do His own work. Verse number 10. For who hath despised the day of small things? For they shall rejoice. They shall see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel with all these seven. They are the eyes of the Lord which run to and fro the whole earth. Notice this phrase. Who has despised the days of small beginnings? The whole city has been destroyed. The walls are gone. The, the, the um, temple is gone. And now he's got to build a temple and restore God's house, God's city, with God's people, with nothing. And he's saying, don't despise the day of small beginnings. Isn't it funny how we do that? Just as a little side note, I can't tell you how many times people come over the years and says, man, it'd be really nice if you had this and this and this. I'm going to go somewhere else where they have this and this and this. Don't despise the day of small beginnings. God has something special planned and we can trust him to do his work. Don't despise it. Oh, they can never do anything. They're too small. With God's power, all kinds of things can happen. Amazing things can happen. And God gets the credit for it. Watch God work. Don't despise the day of small, uh, day of small things. The day of small beginnings. Again, that's a good encouragement that he's given to Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, you're my chosen signet. I've got something special planned for you. I know that it seems impossible, but don't worry, I can move mountains. Don't worry, I can build the house. Don't worry, I can do it all. Just be used as my instrument and we'll get the thing done. God was giving great encouragement to Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, you're my chosen signet. I've got something special for you. Zerubbabel, you're my chosen signet. I've got you taken care of. I've got you protected. In fact, the name of God that is used inside of Haggai, talking about the signet, God talks about him being the Lord of hosts. That's a specific name of God used to show that I am the God of all the armies of heaven. And one plus God is always a majority. Remember there was a lot of people on the outside trying to give Zerubbabel a hard time. God says, don't worry about it. I'm the Lord of hosts. I'm more than all of them. I can protect you. Those armies can't touch you because you're on my side. Don't worry about them. Don't worry about the opposition. Don't about the complaints. Don't worry about the people. Don't worry about getting it done. You just obey me and I'll get it done. You're my chosen signet. I'm going to put my stamp of approval using you. I'm going to stamp. And when it's said and done, people are not going to give the credit to Zerubbabel. They're going to say, look at what God did. Look at what God did. Look at what God did. And God just used his instrument. Now remember... All of this is a picture of Jesus Christ. Zerubbabel was just a picture, a snapshot of Jesus Christ. How do we see Jesus in this? Well, turn with me to the book of Colossians. And I want to show you the Christ King. The Christ King. 
the book of Colossians gives a snapshot as well of of uh, Jesus Christ. And we could see these things in the life of Zerubbabel uh, to a small degree. That Jesus Christ is the picture. Here is Zerubbabel, the signet of God. The representation of God here on earth. Again, Jesus Christ is the representation of God here on this earth. Turn with me to the book of Colossians chapter number 1. Colossians chapter number 1. And let's see this, that Zerubbabel as a signet, that was a representation of God's representation, God's picture, God's authority here on earth. Again, Zerubbabel is not Christ, he was just a picture. But let's see who that picture is. Who was God's representative here on earth. Colossians chapter 1. Notice with me in verse 13. Colossians 1 verse 13. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son? The answer to that is Jesus. Jesus Christ is the one that delivered us from the power of darkness. Jesus Christ is the signet. He is God's representation on earth. Jesus Christ came on this earth to die for you and me. Verse number 14. And whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. It is Jesus Christ who died for us and gave us forgiveness of sins. It's now offered for us. Verse number 15. Who is the image of of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. Again, what is a signet? It is a visible representation of someone's power and authority. Who is Jesus Christ? He was the visible image of the invisible God. He is the representation of God's power. Now again, we know Christ is God. But as we divide it out in our mind, Jesus Christ is God robed in flesh. He is God in representative form on earth, in human form. Jesus Christ is that signet. Notice if you don't mind as we go on, verse number uh, 16. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions, or principalities, or powers. All things were created by Him and for Him. Jesus Christ is God's representative power on earth. So much so that it was Jesus Christ who created all things, and all things were created for Jesus Christ. Verse number 17. And He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. By the way, that's a powerful verse. Even if we talk about science. Inside of science, we talk about the most basic uh, part of all matter, which is an atom. And inside of an atom, you have three parts of an atom. You have electrons, you have protons, and you have neutrons. Now, in that, each one of those things have a charge. A neutron has a neutral charge. A proton has a positive charge. And an electron has a negative charge. Well, for those of you who are familiar with magnets, can you put a north pole with a north pole? Will they stick? No. They repel against each other. Because like charges repel, unlike charges attract. 
Well, you have the electrons that are circling around the, the atom, but inside of the core, you have neutrons and protons, like charges repel. What keeps those protons from falling apart? There is a constant strain on every atom for them to separate. By the way, that's the basis of the understanding of the atom bomb is that you somehow destroy those bonds that put together. But that atom in its charge has so much kinetic energy because those protons want to separate. But instead, they're fused together. What holds them together? Well, science tries to put some answers together. And I love physics. I love studying that stuff. But you know the Bible gives a biblical answer? And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. You know what keeps them together in a spiritual idea? God does. He keeps everything from exploding. Aren't you glad for that? That he, uh, all things consist. You say, can you rectify that verse with science? I can. Why? Because most scientists, we tr- they study, and all they have is theories, but they can't explain how those charges don't blow up, why they stay together. They try to come up with different things, talking about isolinear bonds and different bonds that try to keep them together, and they try to study it, but it's something we don't know yet. But we do know that by him, all things consist. Without him, the whole world would be blown up. Without a doubt. Verse number 18. So because of who Christ is, he is the visible representation of God, the invisible God here on earth, that he came to this earth. He is that visible representation. Even now, he's how we understand God. Verse 18. And he, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. So who's the boss of the church? Christ is. Our job is to find out what he wants. It's his church, not ours. We find out what does he want to do with his church. And he is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn of the dead. Notice this, that in all things he might have the preeminence. The word preeminence is a very interesting word. Some people try to define it as an idea that he is the top of the list, that he is the very top. He has the preeminence. But actually that word preeminence means something a little bit different. It carries the idea that he is the only one on the list. May I give an illustration? What if I went to my wife and said, Honey, I love you. And I want to let you know that out of all the women that I love, you're number one. Do you think she wants to hear that? She wants to hear that I love her like I love no one else. She wants to be the preeminent woman in my life. That I love her like I love no one else. When it talks about Christ having the preeminence, it's not, well, I have this and then I have my favorite hobby in this and then Christ is up there. No, Christ wants you to love him like you love nothing else. It is a different type of love. He is the only one on that list. He is the preeminence. Why? Because he's God's chosen signet. He is God's representation. He is God, robed in flesh. He is the chosen signet. He is how we understand God. We need to love him like we love no one else. Verse number 19. 
For it pleaseth the Father that in him should all the fullness dwell. Meaning that we get all of our satisfaction. Everything we need to be complete in Christ is to be in Christ. When you have Christ, you have all everything that God wants you to have. He provides for you. You need finances? Well, have Christ. You need health? Then have Christ. When you have Christ, you also have all of those other things. Verse number 20. And having made peace through the blood of his Christ across by him to reconcile all things to himself by him I say whether they be things in earth or things are in heaven and you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works now has he reconciled oh because Jesus Christ is the chosen signet then when we then we in our own minds were alienated and enemies by our wicked works. What does that mean? That means that there was a time in your life. Before you came to the Lord. Where you didn't want anything to do with God. I hate you. Leave me alone. Let me do my own thing. Because of your own works. Because of your own actions. You were living like you didn't want God part of your life. And you know what God did anyways? He allowed you to be reconciled. To be a part of him. That one day you, you didn't have want anything to do with God. And then you realized who Christ was. And now you can have a personal relationship with God. How did that happen? Only God could do that. That's what Christ did. That chosen signet. That representation. Verse number 22. In the body of his flesh through death. To present you holy. And unblameable. And unreprovable in his sight. You know what God's eventual goal is? Here is someone who hated God. Didn't want anything to do with God. And then God saved us. But he didn't just stop there. He wants to do a work in your life. So one day he could present you before God. How does he want to present you before God? To present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Jesus wants to do a work in your life so you could stand before God. Isn't that pretty amazing? The God who can't stand any type of sin... Christ wants to do a work in you. Now I understand there's no such thing as sinless perfection. You will never get to the place in your life where you'll stop sinning. I'm sorry to discourage you. However, he could do a work in your life where you become, where you sin less and less, where you become more holy, where you desire God more, where you want to please him more. Isn't that wonderful? And so think about where we went in that timeline. We went from, leave me alone, God, I don't want to have anything to do with you, to the place where, God, I want to be pleasing to you. What can I do to change? What can I do to be more like you? What made the difference? It wasn't of ourselves. It was of God. And so we have Christ, the Christ King, who was this signet, this representation of who, who God is to us through Jesus Christ. Now, all of this was to learn more about Zerubbabel. As you could tell, Zerubbabel, this is just a taste, by the way. Zerubbabel is very important. How is he important? Well, one reason is that he was in the lineage of Christ twice. Through the blood relation and through the kingly line. He was also the representation of God. That even though he could not have been the king because of the curse upon his grandfather. He was still very important to help rebuild the temple. To help rebuild the people. To bring the people to the place where they would serve God. He was God's representation on earth. What was the secret? It was not by power. It was not by might. But it was by God's spirit 
saith the Lord. What is the secret of what God is going to do here? What is the secret of what God is going to do in your life? It's not by your power. It's not by your might. But it will be by His Spirit. And we can trust Him. The God of Zerubbabel still wants to use us and do it the same way. Meaning that we trust Him to do His own work. That we're just instruments for Him to use. And that we can watch Him work. I want to encourage you dear friend. That God wants to treat you like a chosen signet as well. He wants to use you in a special way. And again, we learn it through the person of Zerubbabel. So let me ask you the question. God's goal for your life is to bring you from the place where you had nothing wanting to do with God. To the place where you have a life that wants to be pleasing to Him. Where are you at on this? Well, you know, you could surrender and say, God... Whatever you want to do with my life, I'm going to allow you to do. If there's something that you want me to do, just tell me what to do. And I'm going to trust you to get its own work done. However you want to use me, I want to be used. Maybe there's someone in here who's never trusted Christ as their personal Savior. Let me tell you that God wants to save you. And He already established a way through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Who died on the cross and then rose again the third day to prove that He was indeed God. And that God was the satisfied with the payment that was made. Let's be able to trust and encourage each other in God's work. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three oh eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three oh eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.